Well, uh, folks, you've, uh, we can all be broken by the questions, can't we? They're big questions. They're, they're, they're life-changing questions. They're questions that touch eternity. What time is it? When will we be there? Why can't we eat now? Why is that round? Why is that square? Why is that blue? Why is that green? Why did he do that? Why didn't he do that? And pretty soon you will break. Pretty soon you'll say, enough, enough, I can't handle it anymore. You're driving me crazy. Oh, they can do it, can't they? It only takes a child or two to do that. They, they will break us. Maybe it's because we don't know the answer to the questions. Maybe it's because they're dumb questions. Maybe it's just because it never ends. The questions just keep coming. You know, you think if one or two kids can break an adult, how in the world does God do it? Seven billion people pouring out questions and complaints and requests. How does it not drive God crazy? And yet you want to hear the crazy thing? God challenges you and me to do just that. God challenges us to drive him crazy. Let's look and see where that happens this morning. Look with me at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. You can reach or if it's not right in front of you, if you point to it, somebody will hand it to you down the row. Luke chapter 18 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Get to John or Acts, you've gone too far. Luke 18. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1, it says there, He then told them a parable. Now, a parable is just a story, but it's a story with a point. It's a teaching story. Jesus does this a lot in His teaching. He'll tell a story, He'll tell a parable to make a point. He told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. Now, that's kind of interesting. A parable is what? It's a story with a point. We're told the point before we even hear the story. I don't know if the scripture doesn't trust us to get this one. If they say, you know, I want to make sure you don't miss this point. So I'm going to tell you the point before I even tell you the story. And that's what just happened here. We were just told the point before the story. And what's the point? Don't quit praying. Man, whatever you do, and whatever you do, don't quit praying. Boy, that's an important lesson in prayer. We've all done it, haven't we? We have all, I can't imagine there's not a single person in the room, you quit praying on a certain issue, on a certain situation, on a certain person. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to quit praying. Can't tell it's making a difference. Can't tell if our words are getting beyond the ceiling. I think for a lot of us, it just gets to be a long time. You know, when the days become weeks and the weeks become months, and for some of us, the months became years, didn't they? And I don't know that we make a conscious effort to stop. We just, we just do. We stop praying. Makes you wonder sometimes, I wonder why God wants us to pray. I mean, it's not, it's not like we're giving Him information. He knows everything. I'm not telling God something. Hey, God, did you know this is what needs to happen here? I would imagine because of that, our requests somewhat sound like a small child sometimes. Almost silly, because we, when you and I pray, we do so with very limited information. We don't know the from beginning from the end. Now, we don't think of ourselves that way. I tell you, every time I've prayed, I've known everything I need to know in the whole world. Boy, God, if you knew what I knew, if you, if you did hear what I thought needed to be done here. But in reality, we know so very little when we pray. And yet, the Scriptures, God, tell you, tell me to pray. 
We are to pray. And, and Jesus comes along here and says, listen, not only are you to pray, but man, whatever you do, don't quit. Now we've already, got, I mean, this is kind of interesting. We hadn't read the passage. We already got the point. We already got the teaching from the story, but let's go ahead and see what the story is. Verse 2, there was a judge in one town who didn't fear God or respect man. And the widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he was unwilling, but for a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow keeps pestering me. I'm using the Holman Christian standard. I love that word there that it uses. Even though he keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so she doesn't, and there's the challenge, wear me out by her persistent coming. Now, folks, in this story, God's not the bad judge who doesn't want to give justice. That's not what this story, this is what God is like. No, that's not what it's saying. The point of the story is the widow. That's what Jesus is illustrating. You and I are like the widow. We are persistent. We keep going. We keep asking. Now, persistence in prayer is not just mumbling the same words over and over. I don't know about y'all, I've got some things I've prayed about for a very long time. I mean, I write it out in a journal, and I see those words every day, and and when the weeks do become months, I mean, I kind of got that prayer memorized. And so what happens, I come to that point in my prayer, I can just, I mean, I just kind of recite it, and I'm praying with no thought at all. I'm praying with no passion, no interest. in. I mean, I'm praying, but it just kind of comes out. I've just got it memorized. You know, that's exactly what Jesus says not to do. I'm, I'm guilty of praying in a way. Jesus said, don't pray like that. Matthew 6, 7. Don't, don't just mumble. Don't just recite. Don't, don't pray in a way there's no heart and mind in it. I, I've done that. Done it recently. I loved, oh, I learned that a long time ago. No, I've done it. Well, now, that's not persistence. That's not what persistence in prayer is. Persistence in prayer is just like this widow. You just keep going back and you just keep going back and you just keep going back. And you might want, well, why, why is that a good thing? Why is that something that, that God would want? As a matter of fact, you know, folks, if you kind of think about this picture, I guess somebody skeptical of God or skeptical of prayer could kind of imagine God. He's got the answer, and he's holding it right here. And you and I, we, we, we jump up in prayer to get it, and God's going, whoa, almost. One more time, whoa, almost. And, and he just keeps pulling it. Is that what God is doing? Does he get some kind of pleasure out of this and that's why he wants us to, to keep asking? No, not at all. You know, folks, Hebrews eleven six, 6, very important verse, says without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, folks, persistence in prayer is one of our greatest opportunities to demonstrate faith. I mean, this is something I can do that can actually bless the living God. This is something I can do that actually please the living God in His holiness and His greatness. He can look at this and say, man, that is such a blessing. And it is that persistence in prayer. Now think about what persistence is communicating. Or maybe in another way, think about what persistence is not communicating. Every one of us, we've all been to customer service, haven't we? Yeah, we are, we've called. And if, you know, I don't know... If, I'm, this has probably never happened to you. It's happened to me. Every now and then, the customers get a little frustrated because we're not getting anywhere. This isn't getting resolved. We're not fixing the problem. You're not doing what I need. Now, if the conversation goes on long enough and it gets frustrating enough, sooner or later, I'm going to say, and you're going to say, I want to talk to somebody else, somebody, a manager. I want, to. you know why? 
Do you know why we get to that place? Because we have determined, maybe in something they said, maybe in our frustration level, we just reached a point where we said of that person, you either one, don't care, two, don't have the authority, or three, don't have the ability. So I'm done. This conversation is a waste of my time. And we move on. I want somebody else. Well, folks, that's, that's kind of what happens when we stop praying, isn't it? Now, I doubt any of us have ever had these words in our mind, but it's kind of what's happening. When I stop praying, I'm saying, God, I either assume, one, you don't care, two, you don't have the authority, or three, you don't have the ability to do anything about this. And so we just stop. It's not making any difference. It's not working. I'm going somewhere else. But now see, the opposite's true also. When you and I persist in prayer, when we don't hang up the phone, when we don't leave the counter, when we keep coming back, keep coming back, and keep coming back, we keep coming back, we're saying, God, I don't want to go anywhere else. You know, Lord, honestly, it's a little frustrating to me that I haven't had the answer, or at least the answer I think I should have, or that I want to have. I haven't seen how you've moved or spoken or worked yet. But there is nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else I want there to be to go. I want only what you have. I want only the answer you would speak. I want only what you would do here. There is nowhere else for me to go. So in persistence, we not only communicate great faith, we're communicating great love, aren't we? You're it. I'd rather go without the answer than try to go and pursue it somewhere else. God wants you and me to persist in prayer. I think that's the great lesson God's been trying to teach in my life, personally, in 2012. I've told most of you already this. You, you've heard it back in April uh, of this year. I was at a, uh, a pastor's conference. It wasn't really a small group of pastors, 30 or 40 of us, kind of a roundtable discussion thing. And uh, during the course uh, of our time there and the things we were discussing, somebody, somebody recommended the book, uh, The Circle Maker, and a variety of number of guys there were we're very familiar with it and we're talking about it, what it had done in their lives, what it had done in their, their church. And, and uh, y'all heard me talk about this. I, I, you know, I heard that recommendation. And so I went up to my room during one of the breaks and uh, I didn't use this. I downloaded it onto my Kindle and uh, just started reading it. I, I bet I read it in two days. And, and during the course of those two days of reading, I, I began to ask God, God, what do you want me to wear you out on? <laughs> What can I wear you out on? And I knew, God, I know some things I'd like to wear you out on. And kind of in that mindset, I began to jot down prayer requests. And there there was five major requests that I jotted down. Most of them, I I remember these five I've I've shared with you. Number one, I prayed for $2 million. So where where do you get a number like that? Uh, Well, it was more than a million. Uh, Now, we have two loans in our church, a bigger one and a smaller one. The smaller one is one8 million, and then a couple hundred ex- thousand extra, a little change for God. Uh, I thought, God, I'd like to pay off that small loan, and if you could give a couple hundred thousand extra, I'd like to do some church planning, some things that we're involved with, and, and add to what we're doing there. And, and then with some of that money, Lord, I, that, that could be a way of get going in, in a multi-site. And that was, my, that was the second prayer, is God, would you? We've talked about this, we've prayed about it, we've studied it. God, would you have us to multi-site? You know, to become one church at, at more than one location. One church at two locations, three locations. You know, if you think about it, folks, we're, right now we're a church at three hours, aren't we? You know, there was a whole church here at 8.30 this morning. A whole entire church. Y'all were sound asleep. Weren't here, didn't care. 
<laughs> we had an entire church here this morning at 8.30. You see, right now we're one church at multiple hours. This is just a little bit bigger concept, one church at multiple locations. And so I was praying, God, would you... I, I want to do what God wants us to do. And I don't want to just try good ideas. And so I'm praying, God, is that what you want us to do? And I was praying, would you show us in a big way? Show, show me, show our church, so as we all see it. Provide the place, the personnel, provide the provision. So I was praying that. Third thing I prayed was that we would see more and more people. God, would you, would you move more of our church into life groups? You say, why is that such a big issue to you? You know, right now we have, I guess probably 60, 65% uh, of our worship attendance is also in life groups. And I, I pray it'd be 90. That's why I've been praying. God, would you make it 90%? Yeah, 10%, you know, we're visiting and checking us out and figuring out if we're them. But, but everybody else, you say, well, why is that such a big deal? Because, folks, we're not going to experience the walk that Christ wants us to have with Him alone. We're not going to do it distinct and separate from each other. We do it in relationship. It's not just praying or studying God's Word or witnessing or doing good things or growing. It's doing it together. The Scriptures talk ten to one more about you and I doing that together than you and I doing that alone. You're not going to have what Christ has for you unless you are purposely engaging in these kinds of relationships. So as a pastor, I can't not care about that. The truth of the matter is, I don't just pray for those who aren't in life groups. I pray for a lot who are in life groups because it's just as easy to go sit and stare in there. I mean, just because you're in there doesn't mean you're engaging and building the kind of biblical relationships that God has for you. And folks, I understand. Let me tell you something. I'm making an announcement that I would absolutely ignore. You wouldn't get this from up here on Sunday mornings. Folks, you're not looking at a more introverted person than me. You do not know the work that God has done in my life for me to stand right here. I am introvert all the way to the bone, past the bone, and into somebody else's bone. I'm just telling you, you know, you know what never thought never comes into my mind? Boy, I sure would like to get together with some folks tonight. Drives my wife crazy. I'm just never going to have that thought. I need to engage with others. But do you know what? The New Testament say, now Randy, I just want you to get kind of all absorbed in what you feel is your need. No, this is my need whether I feel it or not. We are to engage with each other. So I continue to pray. That we, we see not growth, not increase, a radical movement of people engaging with one another. Fourth thing, I prayed, I guess any church would have to pray this. God, may we be responsive to your spirit. You know, folks, I think a lot of us would say that we're very blessed. We, we come in here Sunday after Sunday and we'd say, boy, I see God. I see God move. I see God work. I hear God speak. Well, folks, God's not divvying that out like mints. Man, when God speaks, we're held accountable for that. When God moves and works in our midst, we're accountable for that. And I do believe we see a lot of that. And so, man, I'm very burdened. God, are, do you see this family responding to you? Whether it's an individual. You told somebody in here today, go forgive. I keep telling you, go forgive. Or ask forgiveness. Or give or serve. You know they need that. You know I'm calling you. You know I've equipped you to do that. It might be an individual. It might be the whole. Boy, folks, I pray when we hear God speak and move and work, we're responding to it. We're moving our lives in line with that. And then the last thing I prayed is just for unity. I, I don't, you know, one of the most overwhelming passages to me in the Bible is John 17. To think Jesus is literally minutes, minutes 
away from being arrested. And he knows it. He is hours away from being crucified. And in John 17, he starts to pray for future believers. He starts to pray for you and me. And you know what he prays we'd be? Unified. That we'd be united together. And, and I guess really, when I look at the, what I was praying for and answers to these other four requests... I'm praying that, God, would you work in such a big and mighty way in those other four things that that's what unifies us. We're, we're united around your greatness, your glory. We're united around your work. And so now take that time back in April. I believe it was April 17th. April 17th, April 18th, doesn't matter. Been praying that prayer every, those five things every single day. And fast forward into August, and you know we brought the circle maker to the church, and life group studied this. We, we beamed Mark Batterson himself right into each room, let him teach this book. And we prayed over those five things. You prayed over things your classes came up with, or you individually came up with. And boy, it's an exciting time. We saw a lot of excitement and energy around prayer, which I think is a pretty good thing. But you know what? As you were getting excited and energized and all that praying was going on, that corresponds, that intersects when I was getting really frustrated. Because honestly, folks, while you've been praying for it a little while, I've been praying for about five months. No, that, that's actually seven months now. But back in September, it was five. I knew there was a five in there. And I was getting frustrated. I'm mean, be honest with you. I felt like, God, I'm not seeing answers to this. Now, it's funny <laughs> the whole book's on persistence in prayer. And I'm saying, I prayed it and I didn't see an answer. But that's, that's where I was. God, I don't, I don't feel like I'm seeing any answers. I don't feel like I'm seeing you work in any big ways. God, I think in one or two areas, things have gotten worse. I mean, did my prayers making things worse? You know, and I, I, I could tell you folks, probably in all five of these things, in all five of these areas, I could say, you know what? I see answers. I see God working in all five of these to a certain degree. I actually had that exact thought and then I prayed this prayer. God, I don't want answers to a certain degree. I, I, want, I want the sky to open. I want the Red Sea to part. I want fire to fall from heaven. God, I'm looking for some big things. And I, folks, I was getting frustrated. And so I don't, I don't remember the date. Somewhere around the middle of September, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to reread the book. Maybe I missed something. And then so I start to... Uh, to reread it. And, and as I do, I am, I'm particularly interested in an answer on that, that second prayer request, on whether we're to become a church at multiple sites. So I'm rereading when I come to page 114, and it says, Do you remember what Elijah did while he prayed for rain? He sent his servant to look toward the sea. Why? Because he expected an answer. He didn't just pray, he acted on his sanctified expectations by looking toward the sea. Elijah is set up in the New Testament as the standard of praying hard. Elijah was as human as we are, it says in James 5.17, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Praying earnestly literally means praying with a prayer. It's more than words. It means acting on your prayers because you expect an answer. Elijah didn't just pray against the prophets of Baal. He challenged them to a sacrifice showdown. He didn't tell the widow of Zarephath to pray. He told her to bake a loaf of bread with her last batch of dough. And in a remake miracle, Elijah didn't pray for God to part the Jordan River. He struck it with his rolled up cloak. Each miracle was precipitated by a concrete step of faith, setting up a sacrifice on Mount Carmel, baking a loaf of bread, and striking the Jordan River. And God honored those steps of faith. 
One reason many of us never get an answer to our prayers is that all we do is pray. You can't just pray like Elijah, you have to act like Elijah. You don't just get on your knees, you also look toward the sea. Do you ever wonder about actually taking a step of faith as if God was going to answer the prayer? We don't because we want an answer before we exercise our faith. Man, this hit me right between the eyes. I mean, that was me. I was praying, but doing nothing. I was faithfully, daily, mumbling words, but, but expressing no faith. It, it was a Thursday night and, and when I read this, and I started praying, God, what do you want me to do? What is the step? That was my actual prayer. What is the step you want me to take? I'll do it, Lord. Well, the following Wednesday, I'm in my office when Dale, Ronnie, and Mike call me up and they say, hey, we need to go to lunch. Now, my first thought was, this is a setup. I, I don't know if I should do this. But I went with them against my better judgment. Well, as soon as we sit down, Dale says, you have to take the step. That's the way God is going to work. Folks, they didn't know I was asking God, what is the step you want me to take? Or that I've been rereading the book. They didn't know in that single statement of Dale's, I was literally having a, a burning bush experience. They presented a bunch of research they had been doing, but my head was spinning. I'm thinking, answered prayer. But you know what I'm also thinking? Lord, I, I prayed for something big, so, something the whole church can see. This is cool. This is answered prayer, but, but God is not very big. Right then, God brings to my mind Elijah. God had done big miracles through him. Fire fell from heaven. The rain came. The, the enemy was defeated. The people of God came back to God. It was awesome. But then there was that evil queen, Jezebel. And she tells Elijah, I will kill you by tomorrow. Well, Elijah runs like a scared cat. He gets depressed, wants to die. In his mind, God had let him down. Why hadn't you protected me, God? Get rid of her. Do something big here. Elijah wanted to see God move again and in a big way. So God brings Elijah to this mountain and God brings a tornado, but God isn't in it. Then God shakes the mountain, an earthquake, that's big, but God isn't in it. And then a fire, but God isn't in that. Then God arrives in that still small voice. And I'm thinking, God, I don't, I don't want a still small voice. I want the fire. And God says, Randy, I want you to take a step of faith. Then I start to wonder, but God, I just don't see how we can do this. And I'm reminded of a particular night in our project team meeting years ago when we found out that the building you're sitting in right now was going to be $28 million. And I thought, oh man, and that was a bad night. We began the process of scaling the building back and it got down to 20 million. And that was even worse. Now we had one fourth less building and it's still a mortgage we couldn't pay. That mortgage was going to be $125,000 a month. That's $1.5 million a year. That's when we had a $2.5 million budget. We, we can't do that. It's not that we shouldn't. It's that we can't. But God called us to go. And God worked through a great general contractor. He worked through almost miraculous interest rates. And all of a sudden, when we closed on that loan, our $125,000 a month mortgage was $72,000. When God calls, He provides. I believe God has called us again. He's called us to become one church at multiple sites. And that first site is going to be right here at Commonwealth 20. Our first service is going to be March 3rd. There'll be nobody in it but a technical crew and a worship team. We have to figure out how to turn the lights on and run the projector. 
Then March 17th, two weeks later, with an actual congregation from right here in our midst. And then on Easter Sunday, the heights of Midlothian will have its grand opening. Why here? Midlothian is one of the densest and fastest growing areas in central Virginia. And while this area is 25, 30 minutes from our church, would you believe that in the last four years, over 400 people have come to our church from the zip code right around this theater? God already has us out here. We began to wonder, well, where in Midlothian? Where do we go to have this? Well, how's this for a coincidence, folks? Commonwealth 20, right in the area we want to be, is the only theater in the entire Richmond Metroplex that does not have a church in it. The very place we wanted to go is the only place that was open to us. Man, that's God. Now, I was actually still struggling with, Lord, you've called and you've provided the place. But for me, the big issues, the big questions were things like personnel and provision. And I don't see that. I can see how to start, but if this works at all, man, we're going to need personnel. We're going to need provision right away. And in that still small voice, God said, take a step of faith and watch what I can do. So there it is. What I believe is an answer to our prayer and the call of God. March 31st, Easter Sunday, the heights of Colonial Heights Baptist will stretch out and also be the heights of Midlothian. One great church in two locations. They will have their own worship team. They'll have their own small groups, their own ministry, their own Crestos events. They'll join us for things like youth retreats and mission trips. And of course, we'll be one each week through the preaching of God's word as they will watch on the screen as you are right now, the same sermon you watch live. They'll have their own staff. It's gonna begin with Buddy Ham. Buddy Ham will be the campus pastor here. I believe he's not only uniquely qualified for this, but Buddy and I both believe that he's called of God to do this. He will play the dual role of campus and children's pastor, possibly for up to a year. While Buddy will be the campus pastor and leading this effort, many on our staff will be playing various supporting roles in getting this new campus up and running until the Lord does provide the personnel and the provision necessary for it to stand on its own. But this is not a work of our staff. It's a work of our church. And I want to ask every one of you to take two, if not three, of these following steps with us. Number one, would you pray for us? Pray for wisdom and favor as we work through a lot of details to make this happen. Would you pray that God would use this campus to reach thousands for Jesus Christ? Number two, would you consider if you would be one of those that would go with us? We'd like to see 125 from here commit to go for eight weeks. After that, 50 get to come home. But we're of that 125, we're gonna ask 75 to remain for one year. This is to get the ball rolling with a critical mass and people ready to do the ministry, to be the church. You can begin signing up next week uh, for an interest meeting that we're gonna have in January 16th. That is a Wednesday night. It will be a night just to learn what might be involved in this. You're not making a commitment to go, you're just coming to learn. Number three, would you consider giving a special Thanksgiving offering to the Lord? Because you are thankful for what this church means to you, what it's done in your life, would you help spread this church to others? Would you consider a gift above and beyond your regular giving to get this up and running? 
We're designating November 25th and December 2nd as a special offering to this. It'd be great if we could get $25,000 for some startup cost, and $200,000 would not only get all of our startup costs, but would well fund us into the first year. Would you consider a Thanksgiving offering to the Lord to spread the work of this church further into our community? I believe when you make that offering, you help all of us answer God's call on our lives, on this family, on this church, to further impact our community and our world for Jesus Christ. You know, folks, it's, it's interesting when God calls, and I believe He has, how He continues to evolve that call and show what He's doing in this call. You know, when I think about doing this, I, I think that probably my biggest idea is growing the church, reaching, reaching people for Christ. But I, I tell you something, I think there's much more here going on now. I, I think this opportunity gives our church a critical opportunity to evolve and grow as a church. And I'm not talking about numbers of people there. I'm talking about how we engage our community and how we engage our world. You know, when I watched uh, the, the election results Tuesday night, it was, it was interesting listening, and, and not only that night, but in the days that followed, uh, wh what people were learning, what they were communicating about the exit surveys that they, they learn about people. And folks, I'm not talking, I want, you to be, want to be real clear about it. I'm not talking about who won or didn't win or what candidate. I'm just talking about people. People communicating themselves in these polls. And I think we all know this, but it really became clear in these exit polls. Folks, our country is not walking away from God. It is sprinting away from God. We could not be going further and faster. And you know what? While we say we're here to share the gospel, we're here to go into the world, let's be honest, 90% or better of our time is cloistered in our little groups you know, people who are like us and think like us and act like us and look like us and, and who we're comfortable with. And we know there's a big bad world out there, but, but I'm pretty sure most of us are like me. Folks, most of us are not like me. They said it very clearly on the news Tuesday night. This is not a religious nation anymore. We are not being affected by God and by the gospel and by his word. Folks, that's got to come into the face of the church, doesn't it? We, we can't keep doing the same thing and assume new and different results. Something, something's got to change. We're, folks, we're not in a culture war. I hate to be the prophet of doom here. We lost. We lost the culture war. And there's vast areas of this country that you can go into and really experience that and feel that. So I believe that the challenge of the church today is not, well, we got, we got to work harder. Yeah, we got to work harder, but folks, we got to work smarter. We got to get more creative. We got to understand about who we're going to reach and how we're going to communicate that. You know, it really goes back. This should be a philosophy of ministry for us. It's the way God works. He didn't say, I'm going to sit up here in heaven. And when y'all look like me and act like me and want me, then you can come in. No, we put on flesh and he came down here and he got dirty among us. And by the way, do you remember when he put on flesh and he began to move among the community and he began to move the, among the world to communicate something very simple, God loves you? The church hated him for it. They hated the way he got out and engaged community. Which means, folks, at the church, we've always got to be mindful that we're very protective of our little ways and what we want and where we feel comfortable. Folks, we've got to become good at engaging the unchurched. 
I, I actually believe, I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple of weeks. This past week really ramped it up. I think Colonial Heights Baptist is very good at reaching the church. We are very good at reaching church people. Now, there are lost church people. There are church people looking for a place where the Word of God is taught. There are church people looking for a place where they can be challenged and encouraged and aided in going and sharing the gospel because a lot of churches are not going to help them do that. But if you have some concept of church, if you're okay with church, if, if you understand why we stand when we stand and sit when we sit and what that means and what, then you work pretty good at reaching that group. I don't know that we're real good at reaching the unchurched. I'm not saying we haven't reached any unchurched. We have. I wouldn't say we're good at it. One of the things that excites me about this multi-site is not that it just automatically becomes a way of reaching the unchurched. No, I'm pretty sure we'll meet, reach some churched out there too. But what, what God is going to do in this, folks, is challenge us to trust in Him in some brand new ways. We've gotten very good at the tools God has already given us. God's given us a big building. We know how to use a big building to do ministry, don't we? God's given us a big choir and orchestra. Man, we know how to worship and we know how to reach people with a big choir and orchestra. We got big programs and lots of big programs. We know how to reach people with big programs. We're not going to have any of that at Commonwealth 20. We got the same Bible, got the same message, got the same philosophy of ministry. How are we going to do that? I think this is going to force us to get smarter to get more creative, to think more about who is it we're going after, why are we going after them, and how do we reach them? How do we communicate the way they hear and understand and process? I don't have to think a whole lot about communicating to a church person. But the unchurched, yeah, much more. Much more so. So there's a challenge out there, but I don't want you... Actually, I'm pointing towards Petersburg, Midlothians that way. Uh, Folks, the challenge is not just what the church and maybe some of you are going to do out there. That's got to come back here, doesn't it? That's not just going to be an opportunity for another site. This has to be all of what Colonial Heights Baptist is doing. We're looking at engaging our ministries in a number of ways that that have a greater sense of of reaching the unchurched and, and communicating... And on a non-church level, one of the things we're going to do, and it will really impact this service, as a matter of fact, we're, we're going to change up our worship style a little bit. Now, our first two services, 825 and 955, uh, are going to look pretty much the same as what we've been doing. Because we're good at that, and we've reached thousands of people with that. We're not going to stop doing that. We got a strong commitment to that. We're going to continue to do that. A little bit of change to the second service. The second service does not have the choir right now. So they will be getting back the choir. So we'll have our full choir, our orchestra in the first two services. This service uh, at a date in February. What is it, Dale? 10th? February 10th? That's probably a Thursday. Uh, (laughs) February 10th, first, second Sunday in February. This service is going to look a lot like probably a a good example would be what you saw last week. Now, last week we did have the choir and orchestra up here with the the band out front. It won't have the choir and orchestra. It'll just be the band. But folks, I want you to understand something about what we're doing in that service. It's not about the music. It's not about whether lights are on or there's smoke or any of these other things. It is about creating a different style that forces us to think about everything we do in that service and how it communicates or doesn't communicate, how it's understood. Same message is going to be preached. 
Same commitment to God's word. I'm gonna, you're, they're going to get in 1135. You're going to get in 1135 what was preached in the other two services. But there's going to be a, a very different feel to that. I would imagine some in our church would say, well, I don't know if I liked what we did last week. That's absolutely okay. You don't have to like it. Can I say this as lovingly as I can? It wasn't for you. It's not for the churched. It's for the unchurched. And folks, I don't know about you, I don't want to go get coffee and whine and gripe about how bad things are in America. I, I don't want to whine and gripe about how uncomfortable people who aren't like me are making me feel. I want to do what Christ told us to do, and that's get out there in the middle of it and be salt that affects and preserves and impacts. I want to be light, light for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, if you're a believer, you got no reason, you got no right to complain. The only opportunity and right you have is to pick up the gospel of Jesus Christ and go engage that community. So I think, I think a new service is a way we're going to try to do that. I think multi-siting is a way we're going to try to do that. Folks, I, I tell you what, I think we're going to try everything we can. I'm confident we're going to do some things that are going to look stupid and fail. But last I checked, when you're fishing with something and that piece of bait doesn't work, what do you do? You pull it out of the water, put another bait on and go again. We go fish here at Colonial Heights Baptist, don't we? And folks, all I'm trying to do is get as many lines in the water as I can. Because I tell you what, our country is radically and very quickly sliding in the wrong direction. You realize we are a grossly immoral nation. We are a grossly greedy nation. We are a grossly idolatrous nation. Folks, we, we got to amp up what we're here about to do. We got to amp up what we're about. And I'll tell you what, 2013, I think we ought to take the best shot we can. I think we ought to take the best shot we can. One more quick thing about the offering. I'm not going to, you've already heard the video, I'm not going to add to that. But when, when we take up that offering on November 25th and December 2nd, just, just to understand a couple of things. At present, the amount of money that we have for doing that is roughly, um, well, it's roughly zero. Yeah, it's, it's zero dollars is what we have for that in our budget. And so that's what this is going to do. It's, it's going to make up our, our budget for this. I would ask two things. That you, I'd ask that you consider as sacrificial a gift as you can give. I would ask that you do what my wife and I are praying about. What amount can we give that actually affects what we're able to do in November and December? Because this is what we're about and this is what we believe. And so I, I would ask that it, 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 it be sacrificial too. I would ask that it be above and beyond what you normally give to the church. I mean, we, we still have a budget to run this place. This is a non-budgeted item. If you just move over what you normally give, then, then we've lost in both places. So I'd ask that you give above and beyond uh, what you give to the church. But here's what I want to add to the video. As we do this, I am, I am ever mindful that we're actually not alone in, this, in what's going on in our world. We are in partnership with other churches. We are, just like I would encourage you to get in life group and partner with others... We as a church have to partner with other churches. And so whatever amount we take up, we already do this. Last year we gave over half a million, no not over, right at half a million dollars to a variety of different uh, mission uh, things that we want to be involved in and affecting our communities. As a matter of fact, Tommy and Katie Oliver, would y'all stand up? Y'all stand up real quick. These are good friends of mine from years ago in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Y'all can sit down now. And... Uh, they left Spartanburg before I did. They're up in the Northeast right now. 
uh, and they're beginning a, a Bible college up there. And I love the way Tommy and Mark, the guy he works with, shared this with me. He said, you know, when we win people to Christ in the Northeast and they want to go into ministry, they come to the South to get educated and they don't ever go back. <laughs> We've lost them. And so, folks, I mean, that's a foreign mission field up there. And so we're, we're trying to establish biblical Bible college teaching right in the Northeast. Tommy and Katie, we're partnering with them. We've already been funding them. Your mission giving has been doing that. They're, they're going with me this afternoon to the SBC of Virginia uh, State Convention for the next couple of days. They're going to be working up there the whole convention. And so, man, we're, we're constantly looking. How do we partner? So when we take up this offering next uh, November 25th and December 2nd, we're going to give 10% of it away. Now, the, the, the business side of me says, I, you don't have a single penny for anything you're doing. Why are you instantly giving it away? We're gonna, whatever we take up, 25,000, 200,000, 3 million, we're, we're giving 10% away. 5% we're giving to Vision Virginia. That's our state convention. That'll go to funding two primary things, church planning and disaster relief. Folks, SBC, one thing we do, Southern Baptist Convention, one thing we do very well is disaster relief. You've heard me say this before, the Red Cross doesn't go anywhere in the United States or in the world without calling the SBC convention because we do this well and they partner with us. The difference is when we clothe, when we feed, when we clean up, when we do light construction as an army of Southern Baptists are up doing in New York and New Jersey right now, when we do it, we do it with the gospel of Jesus Christ on our lips and we do it with the love of God in our hands. And so I want to fund that. I want to help do that. We've already, this church has already given to Virginia, Virginia. We did that back in, in September. I think we can give better and I think we can do more. So whatever we take up, 5% is going to that. Another 5% is going to the International Mission Board. We, we already give uh, close to $100,000 every year to the International Mission Board. We're going to give some more. We want to be engaged. We want to be involved in the gospel, not just in our community, but around the whole world. And so, folks, even as we respond to what God is doing right here in our midst, this offering, I think, is a way to be mindful. We're also partnering with other churches. We've also got a vision of reaching the entire planet for Jesus Christ. Amen? May God establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And I do ask that you would establish this work. Lord, the, the way it was presented in that video, it sounded no, so neat and tidy and wrapped up and every detail was done and finished. And Lord, you know nothing could be further from the truth. There's a, a lot to understand. There's a lot of questions to be worked out and details to be figured out. And I pray for wisdom. I pray for guidance. I pray you'll continue to confirm and affirm what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that that sight would see thousands of people come to Jesus Christ. Lord, I am grateful that, that we are partnering with many churches. But God, I do lift up our church in this moment. And I pray you would use us to radically affect Central Virginia. And that would begin to have an impact on our state. And that would begin to have an impact on our entire world. God, you've not called us to throw in the towel. You've not called us to complain. You've called us to go and tell. You've called us to share the love of God with people. And Lord, I pray that you would expand our ability, expand our territory, expand our opportunity to do just that. Lord, we need your help and we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.